0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I am honoured to have the Mayor of Hamilton, Paula Southgate, in the studio. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Yes,
0: it's good to have you back.
1: Thank you. Yes, yeah, a while, isn't it? About yes. six months or so. And
0: That's things cool. have definitely changed since yeah, then. Absolutely. You're a councillor then. Now you're having to deal with all this. <laughs> Wasn't <laughs> yeah. what you were expecting, I'm sure, when you became mayor.
1: No. Who could have foreseen? covid and all the other things no know? no so, of course, but you know it's, it was a challenge and we rose to that challenge so i'm quite pleased with that
0: yeah yeah so when these type of situations happen what's i mean i suppose you all have to get a, get together well in this case via zoom mm-hmm. i imagine there's
1: lots of zooming
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. and what's the first priority usually well,
1: well interestingly uh, when we first went into lockdown, there was no law that enabled us to do any decision making by Zoom. We could talk to each other, we could have really robust discussions on Zoom, but we couldn't vote. We couldn't do any council business. But quite quickly, and we wrote to government, and so so did many councils around New Zealand, and said, mm-hmm. "Is it time to enable online, you know, online voting? If you like, voting from home?" Yeah. Uh, remote voting is probably the right term, Yeah, yep. and um, they made that change very quickly. And because we were already organized and thinking about that, we were able to get council up and running really quickly. In fact, I think we were one of the first councils to have full voting Zoom council meetings. So, yeah, yeah. so we just thought, right, um, okay, we're all at home, but we can use our brains, use our preparation and get a lot of work done. So we did.
0: Okay. But so that hasn't been amended at all in terms of the no, actual it's decision still, making? No,
1: we're not quite sure when the government will do that. I guess they're pretty preoccupied with other things at the moment. Um, so it enables councillors to continue to zoom in and to be able to vote on issues. Right. And of course, we've had lovely Sarah, who's had her little baby Leo. She has. And I mean, what a trooper. She came on and participated in a meeting two days after having Leo. Wow. Um, I know, I know. So from her home, and that's what it enabled her to do. Her husband's on hand to look after the baby as well, so they've got it all set up. And she's continued to Zoom in and um, participate quite fully in council work.
0: So are you guys still doing a lot of your meetings via Zoom? We're
1: what? doing it, yes, that is that is true. Um, we suggest that the majority of councillors come into the chamber because it's hard to go half and half. I mean, it would be ridiculous if I was in the chamber by myself with two others and everyone else was off at home well, on their a, Zoom.
0: Yeah, it would be a bit weird, I'm it's, sure. It's
1: hard to manage. And actually, most of the councillors, now that they are back in person, have said it's just brilliant to be working as a team together in the same room. But obviously, some people can't for a variety of reasons, and they're, yeah. they're still Zooming in. And okay. that's working very well, to be honest.
0: Right. So in terms of the priority, what was the... What did you prioritise first when, when this all went down and, obviously, after we came out of lockdown?
1: Well, first of all, there were the immediate needs for people, weren't there? There was people without food, yep. which is a basic. And there were people who were having difficulties with shelter or other you know, basic needs. Mm-hmm. So we swung into action to help uh, facilitate and coordinate groups to come together to meet the basic needs of, of people. As we went on, we also realised that we needed to provide some financial support through um, remitting rates and things like that for a period of time to enable people to pay their bills to meet their needs, and so we've done that as well. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, as I say, we got on with business. All the things that didn't really rely on us coming together physically, we started talking about. We started talking about how we're going to rebuild after COVID, uh, how we would respond to governments, um, opening up their wallet, if you like, for us. So we put in a lot of stimulus requests uh, for that that money that government was bringing to the table. So we were really, really busy in that respect.
0: Okay. But how, because obviously with these type of things, when you allocate resources to one thing, you're usually taking away from another, aren't you?
1: Oh, well, you know, lots of things did stop.
0: Yeah. Of and, and,
1: of course, we've taken a hit to our pocket too because Claudelands hasn't had any events. The swimming pools have been closed. The libraries mm. have been closed. And um, So h- you know, how
0: do you manage the debt? And-
1: well, we've got, we've got a buffer. We've, we're fine in that respect. We have taken a hit to revenue. Okay. Um, and, you know, we've got to build up from that. In fact, we're still taking a hit to revenue because nothing's back to normal quite you know, we haven't got any tourists. We haven't got big conferences swinging back into life. They're, they're starting to come in now. We're planning for that through Claudine's. Um, People are now back at the pools and libraries and those sort of things, so that's good. Uh, you know, you just adjust your budgets. You have to look at it as an austerity budget, not an not mm. a usual budget, and find out what you can delay. So there's been a few deferrals so that we can focus on the here and now and things that are less important will come in a bit later. But you can't defer and defer and defer because eventually you have to do the work the council's got to do. And uh, Yeah,
0: well, it seems like a very difficult thing to get the balance right.
1: Yes, it is. It is.
0: So with the, with the things that you deferred, why were they deferred?
1: Oh, basically because um, they were easy to defer without having an impact on the community, right. such as, you know, new playgrounds or... Mm. Um, uh, a park or or demolishing demolishing um a building for example did it have to be done now no it didn't have to be done now so we moved a lot of things back and some of those projects um, because construction stopped as well you yeah. know uh, they're going to come back on but not necessarily immediately so that gave us a little bit of flexibility to be honest
0: okay so what are the main uh, in terms of the main projects that you were really keen to get on board with straight away.
1: Well, we wanted our share of the government money. Let's be clear. They yeah, were, yeah. were okay. going to put that money out to... To councils to get on with stuff and to rebuild the economy, so we've put in. In fact, we've been very successful. We put in over 22 projects across the region. Mm -hmm. 11 projects are still in the mix, and we've already received um, word that we've got 150 million for. We're not quite sure what project that is for, but we also got some money for Rua Kura. We got some money to restore our river path at London Street, the Tiawa Cycleway. So. That part, which people have asked me all the time, when's London Street going to be fixed? Well, good news is it's being fixed right now. Um, so, yeah, so we've done very well in respect to that. And we focused on, we know when the times lift again, we're going to have to grow the city. We've still got a housing shortage. That didn't go away. Um, we're still going to have to build new areas of homes. How can we do that? We've still got to up our game with water, uh, water treatment, wastewater Stormwater, the government's made it quite clear that we have to do that. So we've been very organised in getting proposals to government. Uh, And I think partly because we've had a very good, strong base of strategic planning. We've got a plan called H2A, which is Hamilton to Auckland. Mm-hmm. We've got Future Proof, which is Waipa Waikato Hamilton working together, and the Waikato Regional Council working together. And we have our Hamilton Metro Spatial Plan, which has been looking at what will our city look like in 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, how do we modernise our economy? How do we modernise our city so it's fit for purpose? So we've done all that work. So we were able to pull some really big projects out of that, such as the 20-minute city project that we've uh, proposed to government. we Not sure yet how successful that will be.
0: How long does it take when you submit it to government? How long does it take before they actually even get back to you?
1: Well, we were actually thinking that we would have known by now, but we don't. So,
0: Did uh, you call them and be like, hey? Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) Look, I said to them, um, it'd be really useful if we knew ahead of our annual plan because we can line up our projects um, that – That has only happened in part. Now we're basically keen that before the elections we do know. Mm -hmm. I get the sense that government is uh, rolling out the announcements, uh, not necessarily doing it in one big sweep.
0: Is Is election partly to do with that probably as well? Who knows?
1: <laughs> but you know, look—they've uh, made it quite clear that the money that they've got will be equally spread around the country. So we have seen some announcements coming out in Tauranga and in the, in the far north and so on. Um, we're just waiting to see uh, what we are lucky to get.
0: Yeah, was the you know national made that um, the the thirty-six was it thirty-six billion dollar mm, announcement? Mm. Mm. Would you Did that catch you off guard or had they spoken to you beforehand about that?
1: Oh, we were already pursuing um, conversations with the government about how they can help councils get ahead. Right. We're one of the fastest growing cities in New Zealand. Mm. We think we're pretty pivotal to the centre North Island, but we're also really important for New Zealand Inc., if um, Waikato does well, then New Zealand does well. And we're growing, we're feeling the pressure. So we're already talking to government about our share of money through NZTA, through for the roads and alternatives to roading, uh, for water infrastructure. And we've been talking with government about new financial tools that will take some of the pressure off our books. So um, they wouldn't feature in our debt revenue uh, calculation and we could enter into private partnerships with people Borrow money and pay it back over time and that kind of thing, but not on our finances, on their finances. On their finances, Mm. okay.
0: And is there a specific uh, policy or anything in particular that they've or that you've spoken to them about, like whether it's housing or, Mm. you know, rail network?
1: Yeah, yep, all of those, in fact. Um, We're very fortunate with the future proof committee which meets regularly we actually had the full attendance of Minister Twyford and Minister Mahuta for over an hour and a half they are actually sitting in on those meetings they're taking an active interest in the strategic planning that we're bringing to the central North Island can't okay. do better than that
0: no that's that, that, that's definitely a, a great thing and I I foresee Hamilton probably becoming the logistics hub of of the country.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're, we're centrally placed. Uh, we've already got uh, one inland port north of Hamilton. Yeah. Well, two actually, because we've got the one north of Hamilton. We've got the one at Crawford Street in Terrapa. Mm-hmm. And we've got Ruakura in development. And this money has now gone towards develop, developing Ruakura. So we should see some real progress on the east. So our connection to Auckland is vital because that's one port for us. Um, we can talk about where the government might decide the port goes. Yeah, yeah. And then the other area that's important for us is Tauranga because goods go through the ports of Tauranga and we feel that our connection with Tauranga is really important. They're also a fast-growing metro. So, um, yes, yeah, we're in the middle of that. Uh, The Golden Triangle is still a really relevant concept with Auckland, Hamilton and Tauranga being... uh, Solid economic proposition for New Zealand.
0: Yeah. Uh, When does this rail from Hamilton to Auckland start? Is it November?
1: No, October, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, The date has moved a few times, but that's coming.
0: So that is definitely going to be in October? It's not going to be delayed again? (sighs)
1: Let's hope not. Let's (laughs) hope not. Everything's on track. Oh, no pun intended, but everything's on track to get that passenger rail running. In fact, we've been having conversations with government about progressing rail in general, making it you know more direct, faster, and connecting it with, for example, the Auckland Airport, which yeah. in my personal opinion is a no-brainer. If you're going as far as Auckland, you want to be able to get seamlessly into the heart of Auckland, but you want to get to the airport. Um, that would take a lot of traffic off the roads, especially, of course, now when Air New Zealand are bringing back services um, as they can afford to, bit by bit, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and the majority of it, well, international flights go from Auckland, don't they? Uh, we're a pretty strong regional airport, but we're not likely to have, uh, in the short term, uh, international flights. Right. And some, if you know, we've got, we haven't got the full quota of regional flights back. We're getting there, but we haven't. So we're still going to have to go up to Auckland a bit. So.
0: But could there be a fast rail in the future or something? Absolutely. Some- Well, because didn't we? And we also have an underground train station. Yes. Directly Mm -hmm. under the CBD that's not been utilised at all.
1: Yeah, so that's part of our metro spatial plan thinking. How can we set up for a city that's modern and responsive and actually moves away from the private motor vehicle over time, mode shift? So we've got the opportunity through the rail corridor and through some of our roading corridors, in fact, to get rapid transport up and running. Uh, would it be your standard um, train that we think of these days? Would it be a, a trackless train? What could it be? But either way, we know we've got to we've got to connect with Cambridge, Tower Mutu, Morrensville. It's a really rich opportunity to find some rapid forms of transport.
0: Yeah, because you have a lot of these small towns that are quite close to Hamilton, anyway. Yeah, they are. So you could easily link them up, I would think, with rail.
1: Yeah. And, of course, if you look at from Hamilton to Cambridge, the congestion on Cambridge Road is quite quite a lot, actually. Yes, yes. Uh, every day. Um, imagine if you could get directly to Cambridge on some kind of far rapid transport through the back of Hotapu, straight to Hamilton, straight, yeah. in, straight into the centre of Hamilton. Um, it would certainly bring huge benefits.
0: Are you guys waiting until the expressway finishes first before...
1: No, no. No, No? we're still having these conversations. Okay, all the time. All the time. And we're actually progressing. um, Well, you can imagine that this is a great passion of Councillor Dave (laughs) McPherson. Yes,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) And he's not going to stop. And in a a way that has done us a lot of good as a council because he's been tenacious about um, changing the way we think of transport and modernising. And then, of course, the government have said since COVID... This is the chance to modernise our economy, not to do things the same, but to do things different, differently. And we are doing things differently. We're really thinking about what will Hamilton look like in 10, 20, 30 years. Um, and it probably won't look like it does now.
0: Oh, no. I, I, I even say to my friends in Auckland that I think Hamilton will be a very different place in even 10 years.
1: Yeah. yeah. And we're becoming a very attractive place for business and um, already. Um, when you think about the announcements we've had, we've had the establishment of the head office of the New Zealand Institute of Skills and Technology Yeah. Um, uh, here. Yeah. We had Rabobank come and place their head office here. ACC are moving into the centre of the city, and all of the time we're hearing of businesses expressing an interest to come to Hamilton. Um, But connectivity to the market is really key to them. Hamilton's a very livable city. It's a very affordable city relative to Auckland. Uh, But, of course, business still needs to contact um, and connect with its its customers, so they want to be able to get to Auckland easily, get to Tauranga easily, get down to Wellington if they need to. Um, and we are very central for that. Yeah. mean it's an hour and 20 minutes by plane to Wellington. It's, you know, it's a equivalent of a commute, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, it is. It is, definitely. I think the main thing, uh, and Jason Dawson's mentioned this and a few other people have mentioned this, is the Hamilton is usually known as the hub, but I, like, unless you've got a business here, a lot of people don't come here for tourism type things. I mean, obviously not at the moment, but um, is there mm. any plans in the future to kind of, I suppose, get rid of that negative stigma that Hamilton still has a little bit mm. and um, bring not just businesses and workforce here, but more uh, attractions, I suppose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've known for a very long time that we need a couple of more couple more attractions to get people to come to Hamilton so we've got the fabulous gardens and really as we develop the gardens we're putting the cherry on the cake now we're making them even more fabulous but they're fabulous anyway yeah so people who want to come and see the gardens will come and see the gardens our riverside development is underdeveloped in my view we've started to make progress places like Victoria and the River where you can see the river
0: It seems like that's taking forever, though. I mean, those discussions Mm. have been going on for years, haven't they? They
1: have. They have. But it's not a a cheap exercise. And it's not uh, easy to turn our back to the river, uh, to turn our forward looking to the river Mm. and have our back to the river, because we don't own all the property at all. So we're relying on creating the circumstances for other people wanting to invest in the central
0: city. So, how do you do that, though?
1: Well, we're focusing on what we can do well. For example, um, as I said, Victoria and the River, beautiful space. The Waikato Theatre, when it goes in, will create yet another beautiful space. And then we've got our fabulous museum, but it opens out onto Victoria Street and not onto the river. So we're looking at, for example, opening up the back of the museum, connecting it to the back of the Waikato Regional Theatre or the front of the Regional Theatre. Let's think about the river being the front for a change. Yeah. Um, connecting it through to Wa- uh, to Victoria on the River, MC Park, Victoria on the River, so that people can enjoy that whole experience. Um, So that, those are some of the things we're working on. But I actually put um, Deputy Mayor Jeff Taylor in in charge of that piece of work. So I know he's working very, very hard. He's talking to stakeholders throughout the city. He's coming up with ideas to really um, refresh the way we embrace the city, the the river in particular.
0: Because will the Waikato Regional Theatre, when it's opened, Mm -hmm. will it open with uh, a kind of open part to the river? Will it be connected to, say, the Waikato Museum in some way and Yes,
1: yes, that's absolutely the plan. So the main frontage opens up to where Embassy Park is, uh, but the connectivity with other areas like the museum is vital. I mean, it's going to be very open to the river all along the backside of the theatre, the The actual... Uh, theatre itself is at the front of the building, but there's a big concourse with spaces for people to use all along the back, huge glass windows, etc. It's going to be fantastic. And then, of course, it makes sense to join it to the back of the Waikato Museum. Yeah. And then connect with our new jetty. So we, that, that's been a bit frustrating, that whole experience with the jetty, cause, because I believe that um, river tourism is a huge part of what we've got to offer.
0: Aren't they doing like a commuting service at the moment, though? Or no, it's about don't. to start, or something.
1: No, that we've been thinking. Nobody's offering that at the moment. They're um, offering um, tourist opportunities to connect the city with the garden, but commuting has been part of the discussion. I mean, is that possible even? But we'd have to have some more jetties. You can't. There's nothing at the north that's good enough for a, uh, yeah, a ferry of course. Of course. and so on. But even still, by this summer, I want a really decent city jetty. So that the Waikato River Explorer can seamlessly move between the Hamilton Gardens and the Central City, so that will join the experience of the Hamilton Gardens with the Central City. You know, go to the gardens, get on the ferry, come into town, see the town, uh, have some lunch in one of our fantastic restaurants, etc. People join it up, and don't forget, of course, um, uh, fabulous news: we've we've been supported to connect um, a large part of Tiawa Cycleway. And we're feeling very optimistic that we should be able to connect from Naro Wahia right through to Cambridge on a cycleway. That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it?
0: That would be fantastic. How long would that take you to cycle? I
1: wonder. Um, I don't know. I have an electric bike. Not long. (laughs) (laughs) No, but to be serious, you've got to be careful on those footpaths because people are walking as well. So it's not a speedy, zippy kind of, it's more of an experience a nice cycle out for the day rather than a commute per se. Mm. And we are also looking at our commuter cycling uh, with our East Link and things. So yes, connecting the university with town, for example, so that you can choose to cycle uh, or walk. Right. If you're fit.
0: Mm. I wanted to ask you about Richard Briggs because he ends up in the media a lot. Does he? He does. (laughs) Well, it seems, seems like that as of late. So I just want to know because I know a lot of people don't actually know what his role entails. I think they think that you, you know, just because you're, you're the mayor, that yeah. you have all the power and you do everything, which yeah. is not exactly true. No, it's no, not. Of course. But I don't think the general public knows that.
1: Well, well it's got, I Council
0: employees Richard. Um, okay, so what is he? So what's his role? When people think of a chief executive, they just think that he oversees everything. But I suppose in this case, it's a little more than that.
1: Yeah, Can you so just explain does, to me
0: what exactly what he does?
1: So he does oversee everything. He does manage all of the staff. He's the only employee. He employs everyone else to run the functions. He's really focused on the operations of council, delivering the services and um, outcomes that council sets. So what we do is we set the planning uh, up, we set all the directives, all the vision for the city, and he gets the staff to deliver on that. That's pretty much how it works. Um, so for example, we're just about to go into the long-term plan. Right. When the long-term plan is adopted next year, Richard has to make sure that the staff deliver the outcomes that we have asked for.
0: The staff? Which staff? Like the Hamilton City Council staff?
1: All of the staff in the Hamilton City Council. Okay. Yeah. So for example, you might take the waste for example. Council decided that we were going to go to a progressive waste management system with the four bins and include food recycling and so on. So we, we say that we want a system that is modern and we want to go to a wheelie bin system. We want to collect food. Now how how are we do that is his business. So he goes to the staff that are dealing with waste management and he says, well, this is what councillors want. What's the best way to deliver this? And they come back to us and say, we we can deliver it like this. And we go, jolly good, do that. And he makes sure it gets done.
0: Okay. So that's what he does. So say, for example, if you said to him, oh, we have a housing problem on, I don't know, the eastern side of
1: we do have a housing do, problem. Well, you do, yes, <laughs>
0: yes, of course. But the housing problem's everywhere, not just on the east. So if you say uh, we've got a problem in the east, you would you present him uh, a bunch of different alternatives? No, no. Okay.
1: No, so what we would say is that uh, we have a housing problem and we want more, more affordable homes built as soon as possible. We want communities that are fit for purpose, modern, have cycling, have walking, have homes, have schools. Then it's up to him to work with his staff to produce something that will deliver that. Of course, there's lots of backward and forward. Yeah. Uh, Staff have to bring their solutions to us and we go, we ask them questions. How will that work? Are you sure that will deliver the outcomes? And then, of course, they have to go and do that work.
0: Right. Okay. But to be fair, it doesn't matter what you do. There is always going to be someone that complains about everything. So, with with when you are trying to, you know, enact a policy or bring something to fruition, is it in the back of your mind that these group of people are not going to like this, and these people group of people are going to like this? So I'll give you an example: is those new bins?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I've had a lot of people tell me, "Ah, oh, these are <coughs> going to be great. These are going to be great." And some people are like, oh, I don't like these bins. Yeah. I like the old ones. They're better." Um, So how do you decide when to listen to public opinion and when not to?
1: Well, most plans have a period of public consultation. So we don't usually do anything without going and checking with the public and getting their feedback to inform it. And that certainly happened with the MACE management. We did have uh, consultation online and we went out to stakeholders and we talked to people. And their feedback shaped the final plan. Um, obviously not everybody will believe that their feedback was um, taken into account because it didn't go their way. But we listen to everyone and we try to iron out as many problems as possible. Sometimes people have really excellent ideas and we include them. Um, Sometimes uh, the, the advice is that that idea won't work, so we stick to the plan. There's a lot of backward and forward between ourselves the chief executive staff the public we're all in this together to be quite honest
0: so when you get public feedback how much of a percentage is it actually really though so like with the Rhododendron lawn it seemed like nobody cared up until like the last i don't know was it a few weeks or something before public feedback finished and then all of a sudden you got this massive backlash
1: Well, it was actually after the consultation, public consultation, when when the penny dropped, when we started talking about what we were going to do, and then people became aware, um, and public influence came to the fore. Now, normally, uh, you'd say, oh, well, we've had our consultation, you didn't consult with us, and it's going to go this way. But when sometimes you get a really big groundswell of um, disappointment, or people are raising legitimately good ideas, um, we had to go. You'd have to say to yourself, "Oh, sadly, we're going to have to look at that element again." And you go back and look at it fresh. Now, I wouldn't do that all the time um, because you'd never get anything done. Yeah,
0: well, that's what that's what I'd be thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, but in this instance, we reflected on the points that were being made by the submitters, and remember, there was a big submission, there was a big um, petition, yeah, um, a really big groundswell, and we had to look, sit on, it, sit back, and go, hmm. Do they actually make some good points? Um, And, yeah, we were able to, to design another potential solution that more people would find palatable. And, of course, that's out for consultation now.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, I've seen the new plan, and I do like it. I mean, I was never opposed to the original plan anyway, Mm. but uh, this this other plan looks just as good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's a win-win. The public get what they want, and we can still go ahead and develop those gardens further because the transport is a key issue in those gardens.
0: Oh, Uh, yes, they definitely are. And I imagine over time the Hamilton Gardens is going to get bigger, so then you'll have more congestion and more traffic problems there.
1: But sometimes good things come out of a little bit of public feedback. For example, the second iteration of um, car parking and transport solutions, not on the rhododendron lawn, actually gave us the opportunity to consider whether we'd um, thought enough about bus cycling and walking. Mm. So we've been able to make some improvements. Um, So when the public say to me sometimes, oh, you never never listen to what we say. I say, well, actually, that's not true. We do listen. And, uh, you know, we take on board public feedback, but that doesn't mean that every single individual submitter will get things going their way.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately. I The reason why I say that is probably the epitome of it is the Hamilton statue, mm-hmm. which I hope you haven't had too much hate speech and things delivered. At Not you. in recent times. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. That's good. Um, but that seems like... To me a situation where it didn't feel like anyone was talking about it and then well, i hadn't heard anything about it. and then obviously black lives matter and then it happened and now there seems to be this weird kind of jarring narrative where people are for it mm. and against it um i remember posting something on facebook about or well, after the statue was removed because then people were saying we should change the name and then I put something on Facebook, I think it was on the Hamilton Notice Board actually, saying, Oh, what do people's what are people's mm. feelings on this? I and then I said, I personally don't think it's a good idea because I'd want the money invested elsewhere. And I got absolutely, you know, crucified and got called called a whole bunch of other things. And I'm not even a public servant mm. like you are. So the question I have for you, I suppose, is when you're in these type of situations because the narrative can change so quickly hmm. like how how do you i mean obviously it's a culturally sensitive thing hmm. And I suppose you've had people approach you on both sides.
1: Absolutely. Yep. So let me just step you through how that happened. Okay. Um, in terms of Captain Hamilton, there has been some conversation from Ewe for some time that they're not happy with Captain Hamilton being there.
0: How long? How or oh, how long does this date back?
1: Oh, for for years. Since, for years. Since he well, he's only about eight or nine years old. Yeah. Um, the actual statue. Yeah. Uh, he was um, very generously donated by the Gallagher family for their the anniversary, 75 years of yeah. that. Yeah.
0: But when Gallagher first donated it, was the Iwi immediately? Uh,
1: I believe so, him? but I wasn't there. So, okay. you, you know, so that was before my time. Yeah, yeah, of So he he went there anyway. And um, Iwi have been unhappy with that on and off, and they've uh, always said um, they don't think he was the most appropriate person to put there in Civic Square. Having said that, Captain Hamilton was removed for a different set of reasons. The chief executive made the decision, and I did support him on that, to remove Captain Hamilton because of credible threats to damage their statue and potentially cause some um, impact on the public during the Black Lives Matter. We had credible intelligence. And, you know, look, I, I take on board the advice that I was given. Mm. We felt that that statue, in the context of what was happening to statues all around New Zealand and, in fact, globally, would be would be at least damaged if not pulled out. Um, engineers from council told us that if it was pulled out, it, there could be some structural damage to the roof of the car park that is underneath it. Um, it needed to be carefully managed uh, so the chief executive decided that he was going to remove Captain Hamilton. Now, for public safety reasons. Now, at that time, I spoke to uh, the Gallagher family as well, because I wouldn't have agreed to pull it out without speaking to the people who don- donated it. And they understood what was going on, and they agreed uh, that it should come out, and then we can have a conversation at a later date about what happens next. So that's the background to it. That's Mm -hmm. why it came out. Like you say, then at that stage, when people realised it was coming out, they were able to, Waikato Tainui, for example, said, oh, we support the statue coming out because, after all, they've always wanted it out. Uh, But they also said, we support a name change for the city. So let's have a look at that bit for a moment. And they wanted Hamilton to be called Kiri, Kiri Roa. That was tested when Mayor Andrew King was the mayor.
0: Yeah, I remember. And
1: it was roundly dismissed very quickly. Yeah. We haven't had it on the table, a discussion to change the name. It's not on council's agenda at this point in time, but it has been proposed to us by Waikato Tainui right. and others. Okay. Um, and we will need to respond by way of a conversation. At the same time, in the background, we were finishing a piece of work that Andrew started last term, which was looking at cultural sensitivity in the city, in particular three street names that are considered highly offensive to iwi. Vonten- which are? Temsky, okay. Bryce and Ward. Okay. And we had uh, an independent historian, uh, Dr. Vincent O'Malley from Massey University, do a factual account of, of those street names and the people behind them which we've also received and is actually available online on the Hamilton Mm -hmm. um, uh, website. So now all of these things are converging. We've got the Black Lives Matters issue travelling through the world unresolved. We've got a statue that was offensive that we've temporarily removed and need to decide what we do. We've got a report on cultural sensitivity on a couple of street names. Plus we've got Waikato Tainui's desire around the city name. That's where we're at. Now council hasn't made any decisions, nor would they without involving the public around those things because they're too important and because we've seen from previous times that they would go, that would go nowhere anyway. What you what happened to you is what happened to everybody who engaged in that debate. The extremes were very Well, there were extremes on both sides, and they were very um, verbal about how they felt. Uh, My view is, uncomfortable as it is, we have to have a conversation about those matters.
0: I agree, but the problem is, when people are so emotionally invested in these things, it's very hard to have a a good dialogue about Mm. it, Mm -hmm. because you can't understand the other person's perspective. It's all about winning the argument.
1: Yeah, so I'm saying to people, we need to go in with an open mind. First thing, read that Vincent O'Malley report. It's very readable. It doesn't jump to the conclusion that we will change the street names at all. It just states the facts about those individuals who the streets were named after.
0: How much would it actually cost to change oh, a couple uh, of street names? That
1: what? is yet to be found out, but we know that it would be expensive, very yeah. expensive. Um, is that a reason not to do it? Is that a reason to do it? We, we don't know. We haven't had that conversation. Actually, interestingly, fact, is anybody can apply to have a street name changed. Really? Yes, absolutely. They tr- apply to the council. They go through the geographic board and, uh, for city names. Um, for example, at the moment... Um, Two people have uh, asked the Geographic Board to consider the renaming of Huntley to Rahui Pōkeka. Okay. And um, they're not Māori, but they felt that it should be an authentic name. Of course, Māori agree with them and say, you know, that that could be good. So they'll go through a process. They'll work with the iwi, they'll work with the Geographic Board, and they'll work that through.
0: How long does that take usually?
1: I don't know. See, for example, we haven't had the time to bring all of these facts to the table. Yeah. What's the full process? How much would it cost? How will we talk with the public? Um, and all of that. What do we do about memorial-type statues in Hamilton? What's our view? What's our policy on that? So actually, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of conversation to be had before anything changes. So, you know, people need to uh, relax in the knowledge that we're not going to do anything overnight we're going to carefully go through these issues. And I ask people to go through them in an open-minded way. These conversations are not going anywhere. To me, it's like having a, a, um, a simmering pot. You know, it simmers away and eventually it blows its lid. You, right. put the, you put the lid back on again, but eventually it blows its lid. And that's where we're at. We're at a, a point of tension and we've got to work this out together.
0: Do you think it might be best then to kind of just leave it until it kind of it, it's it simmers a little bit and it's not so front and center when people are a bit more open? To having the dialogue i guess oh, i
1: think the time is now to start those conversations to be honest i mean they've been going on at new- in new zealand for a very long oh, time Oh yes, of course they have and then you know you look what's happening it there wouldn't go be a week that passes by at the moment around the world where a statue isn't removed or there isn't um, some outrage around some historical figures so there is a real move in the world to start telling both sides of the history I personally believe um, h- having both sides of the history enriches us all. Having a Maori history does not replace a European history, but it adds to what we understand went on in our place. Mm. Uh, and, and we've got to do that. We can't ignore it. We can't pretend that wasn't the case. Oh,
0: no, definitely. Mm. I, I, I agree fully. Uh, my only concern is that there are some people out there that you – you give them what they want. You give them an inch, and then they take a mile. You know. Yes. What I mean? yes. yes. You know they they uh, try to change other things, and you know which aren't really necessary. That's my only concern. But I understand as a a public servant that you're in a difficult position where hmm. you're. Well, you're, you're kind of like the mediator between both sides in some ways.
1: Yes, yes. And that's leadership, isn't it? I have to be brave as well and have that conversation. And I was sitting in the middle of it when the statue came out. Yeah. Um, irrespective of the fact that it was a, 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 the chief executive had the authority to do that in the interests of public health. Of course, people looked to the mayor for the leadership over that. First thing was put, keeping people safe. That was absolutely paramount to me. The set, and all of my councillors agreed. Not one of them spoke against that.
0: Okay, so this was a majority. Yeah, yeah. Yep. This Unanimous. Is,
1: yeah, council want to keep people safe. And mm. and um, that Black Lives Matter Matters march was really successful. It was a great show of strength in Hamilton. Job done in that respect because, you know, nobody damaged any public property and no one was hurt. Mm. And they were able to 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 march freely and send a really strong message of support. Secondly, we've got a much more complex issue. This is complex. This is about things that don't fit comfortably with everyone. But having said that, while I had um, some very polar views expressed to me, I had some people very, very angry that I could even be contemplating changing anything, even though as I've said, I'm not until I have a, com- a public conversation. And then there were Māori who want it done now because it's taken far too long. And I understand that. But I honestly found that most people were actually genuinely intrigued and interested, um, you know, what's it about? How can I learn more? And that's the space we've got to play in.
0: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people didn't know. I mean, hmm. I sure as hell didn't. Hmm. Um and I know a lot of other people didn't. Hmm. That's why I found it bizarre when it became this massive thing. I was like, hang on, where did this? how did this happen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, it's because of what it represents, I guess, uh, as much as anything. Uh, look, I just urge people to read the re- Vincent uh, uh, Mallee report. Have a re- it's actually very readable. I learned things that I've never known. I so, didn't know enough about Montemski. So whereabouts
0: on the council website is that?
1: Um, that's a good point. I'll share you the link. Yeah, you share me the link and I'll post it in (laughs) the description with the
0: podcast and everything. Um, Look,
1: and and people need to just be aware that this is going to take time to step through. Um, and that's where it's, that's where it's at. We won't, we're not going to take 10, 20 years to have these conversations. We're going to have the conversations, but let's have them in a constructive way. Um, and a democratic way.
0: So rather than doing it, uh, when you put it out for public consultation and they can send their feedback via email or letters or whatever, uh, would you ever do like an open forum?
1: I think there's a lot of tools we can do and that's the, sta- the stage where we're at. Um, we're meeting, we have a regular meeting with Waikato Tainui under a joint management agreement mm. and we're having that this week. Yeah, um, It's the first time that we've come together in person, though we've been talking by Zoom and so on. And that's a conversation for us to have. We've got this issue that sits here now. What process will we put around that? How will we start to work through these very complex issues? Um, and we haven't gone any further than that at this point in time. But I'm trying to learn as much as I can to, know, to be fully balanced with what I know and understand about why our city is... Named what it is and the streets are named what they are. And I'm not jumping to any conclusions whatsoever that that will result in a name change. There may be other ways in which we um, respectfully and accurately reflect history in our city.
0: Good answer as always. Mm -hmm. Um, With the national mega wind tech. yeah. That's going to be based here. Where is it going to be? Is it going to be based in the CBD?
1: So it's actually the, just the head office. That's so the the NZIST you're talking of. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a head office so it's quite small, maybe 30 staff or so on. Okay. Um, uh, the WinTech will stay doing what it's doing at the moment. And there are other trainers like the ITOs, for example, that will be in this mix. Um, the next big win for us is to go after what they call a cove uh, centre of vocational excellence. So the NZIST has um, suggested that the first two coves that they're looking to place around the country would one is technology, AgriTech, and one is construction and building. Uh, we've, we're talking now with all the right stakeholders, um, including Tawaka the regional economic um, agency, would we make a strong bid for agri-tech or building a construction to come to Hamilton? Because really we could have both. We are the centre of a huge agricultural area and we are growing and growing. Our construction industry is very strong, right? So we could potentially, and especially our education with the ITOs, with techs, trade training, et cetera, is very strong, Um, uh, there's a little twist on the agri tech. some people are asking us to consider, and this makes sense too, to look at technology and agriculture. So you would include all the IT as well. Right. And, you know, be more innovative rather than just agri-tech, but technology across the board. Mm. That's very exciting. Yeah. Um, Whatever it is, wherever we land, I'm going to go after one. I'm going to bring it back to Hamilton. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how how when you when you're uh, approaching people or you're trying to sell Hamilton,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what are what are some of the things that you reference?
1: Look, location advantage.
0: <clears throat> yep.
1: here we are. You know, an hour an hour and a half down the road from Auckland, uh, hour and a half from Tauranga, quick plane ride away from Wellington, um, heart of the agricultural center with a huge manufacturing hub. We do a lot of added value manufacturing. Of course, we're home of um, Innovation Park. Uh, Fonterra's got a strong base here. Yeah. Gallagher with their electronic engineering. We've got a lot going for us. We've got a massive, strong education sector. And I don't just mean the university, which is a very good university, from preschool right through to adult education, We've got that all here. Housing is remains a bit cheaper, uh, and as we start to build more housing stock, we're going to have more housing to offer, different types of housing to offer people. And, and you know, we're relatively inexpensive to set up business in.
0: Yeah. Is there any concerns people have, though, when you're speaking to them? Um, if they're hesitant about something? What would be the thing that they'd be hesitant about? I mean, because it's... Uh, It seems like a no-brainer, but I'm sure there'd be other things that I totally Uh, have no idea about.
1: Well, I don't know. I I think we're trying to break through that old stale brand of Hamilton, which isn't even true anyway. Oh,
0: no, it's not true at all. But um, it's just once something kind of sticks, it's very hard to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And we've been the butt of jokes on seven days and... John and Ben, haven't we, and oh, things yeah, like ages. that for a very long time. But what we're finding now is that the new businesses are great ambassadors for Hamilton. They're starting to say, as I spoke to the chief executive of Rabobank, he's really delighted. He's looking forward to coming and living in Hamilton because we have everything you need. We have really good sports facilities. We have a good place for business. We have good schools. We have good housing. Uh, And if you want to escape Hamilton for a short while to do something, we're fairly centrally located. Mm. I think we've just got to be more tenacious with our story. Uh, The regional economic agency, Te Waka, have refreshed the Waikato story and the next phase of their work is to sell that story. We're working on an education story uh, so that we can attract people here for what it offers people in the way of education.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Mm. because I didn't actually realise until... I think it was last year, that don't we have the youngest population per capita in the country?
1: Yeah, we do. We do. We also have a bubble of oldies and a bubble of young ones.
0: Well, that's good, though.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, we need these young ones to, to get highly skilled, stay in Hamilton, work really hard and support people like me as we head towards the retirement age, <laughs> um, because, you know, actually we need an economy that works and we do need young people to figure that Hamilton, staying in Hamilton is really good. Oh, go go on an OE for a year if you like, because we yep. all do that. But yep. come home and come back to Hamilton. This is where it's happening. This is where you've got all your opportunities.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, I'll wrap up there because I know you got to get going. But, mm-hmm. hey, it's great seeing you again. I do see you around at events, but I don't <laughs> really get to talk to you for that long. so right. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Do, yeah no. And, and that's why I say to people, uh, get to know me, come and say hello at the events. And uh, even though we've been through some bumpy times, um, we've done a great job getting through COVID together. Hamilton, just one thing I would like to tell Hamilton is that yep. we were recognised as one of the New Zealand best approaches to COVID. And as a result, I spoke on a webinar with uh, the Federation of Brazilian Mayors. Oh, wow, um, okay. And we talked a lot about what we had done to support people with our uh, million-dollar fund, for example, with the way that we set up civil defence, with the way we coordinated all our community groups and our charities together and supported them. Um, yeah, so we we did talk about that a lot and how we managed our public spaces to keep people safe and we've had no community transmission with COVID in Hamilton and, or anywhere else for that matter, but we did a pretty good job, I think, as a city, so we should be proud of that too. Yeah.
0: Are people a bit worried, though, because I know there's a few hotels now that are keeping people who are being quarantined, and obviously there was that guy that escaped.
1: Well, they're isolation hotels, which is slightly different. So they come home, they're isolated. Yeah. If they do develop um, COVID symptoms, they're quarantined, which means they're moved out of Hamilton to a quarantine hotel. Oh, right. Okay.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, I think people get the two things confused. So we do have the two, uh, three isolation hotels. We have um, Distinction, Ibis. And Jet Park, I am—I have said to the government, uh, please no more. Not because um, I don't believe people should come home to Hamilton; these are Kiwis coming home, they're entitled. But because it will start to bite into our economy, uh, there won't be enough room for people who come to conferences and events.
0: Yeah, of course. Because
1: you know we really could do with a new hotel, and that's something else I'm very focused on. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, there was a guy—I oh, forgot his name—who was proposing putting a new one on Hood Street. What's his name? I've got his name. Decosta. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Decosta. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so as far as I'm aware, he he still is. Okay. Um, the hotel side of the Waikato Regional Theatre will happen at some stage. The timing of that is uncertain, uh, but we still need a considerably sized inner-city hotel, and we're working working to find someone to you know to uh, encourage them to do that.
0: Mm. Uh, cool. Hey, thank you so much.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's always good to talk to people. And look, I welcome them getting hold of me at any time. I'm very approachable. Oh,
0: you are very approachable. I will um, say that about you. No problems. Yeah, no problems ever.
1: And and look, you know, um, we don't have to agree on everything, but I will always talk with the public and keep them involved in what I'm doing.
0: Yep, you definitely do. Hmm. Okay, that's that's the show, everyone. Paula, thanks again. Thank you. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay, stay safe. See ya.